listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson, the managing editor of Salt City Hoops and the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. And gladly, I, I'm not trying to spill any beans, still the beat writer. Yeah. Or uh, KSL going I mean, into, I'll, what, is this your third season? I'll talk about that. If, is it your third season? Yeah, so uh, my third season with KSL, my fourth credentialed season, yeah. probably like my seventh or whatever season. Like, and you got your first credential through Salt City Hoops. Right. Okay. Uh, no, it's great, and you just get better as you uh, keep writing, because you know the team better, and you kind of know the inner workings, and your sources are great, So you, uh, I, and, I, and you're still the, the, the KSL uh, beat writer, which is great. I think it fits your, your personality and your skill set very well. Yeah, no, I, I think honestly, I was talking about this with someone today, and I think like my first year with Salt City Hoops, you know, I think it was the first year kind of doing the triple team and, and writing recaps and all that, and I thought I knew a lot more than I did, and I think since talking to basketball people every single day over the last four years, it really does teach you things about the game and te- you know sure. shows you that you things that you thought you knew you don't know. Right. Um, and you know, I remember my first year. I, I screwed up, right? Like, I, I killed the Jazz for not doing X when, really, the Jazz were trying to do Y. They weren't even trying to do X, huh. right? Um, do you remember the specific example? Am I outing you if I... No, uh, I mean- I'll, okay, I'll say it. So, um, I was weirded out because I was, I was watching warm-ups, and the Jazz had, like, two players and coaches out on the floor, and the Mavericks had, like, 15 players and sure. coaches out on the floor. And I was like, well, how come no one's showing up to practice? Like, what, sure. what's the deal here? Um, and so I, you know, I, I included it in my article and, uh, Brad Jones, who was a jazz assistant coach sure. at the time. Where is Brad now? Don't know, actually. Cause he worked I, with the I, stars for I a little bit heard... and then was an assistant. Yeah. And it seemed like he was going somewhere else, but he kind of just got dismissed from the team and was gone. Yeah. It was one of those things where he had to be bumped off the bench. So Igor Kokoskov could be bumped right. on the bench. And since then I haven't heard where he's ended up. Um, he was always kind of tied with Jerry Sloan right. and. So that, it's not really a, a coaching tree anymore. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but anyway, so I, I had reported this, and Brad came and talked to me, and was like, "Look, that's that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get one or two guys on the court at the time, so that way they have the space to, to operate. And then, fifteen minutes from now, there'll be two other guys, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so that way, everyone kind of gets individual attention rather. So than, there's not fifteen basketballs flying all over the place with two coaches trying to just shag balls versus actually talking to players right and instead of team kind of building kind of stuff you know running through plays and sets you're doing skill building kind of stuff and that's what they felt that the jazz needed then which you know this is the 25 win jazz when clearly they just had a whole lot of young guys that just needed to be better basketball players it didn't really matter how well they worked together this this was pre-quinn snyder yeah so this was this was pre-quinn snyder this was ties last year okay uh, and the Jazz still do some of this. If you get there early enough for shoot around, yeah. the Jazz still have kind of one on one stuff, and where Alex Jensen and, and Rudy have gotten a lot of work in. Exactly. Uh, you know, I remember Gordon Hayward doing post up games with Tony Lang. You know, sure. we we like to watch those before games. Right. Um, so it's kind of stuff like that where you report something and then someone calls you out on it, or someone calls you up and say, "Hey, maybe this isn't quite right. Maybe you've forgotten this rule, or maybe sure. you know whatever it is." And and I think you learn and adjust and realize you you don't know everything. Uh, yeah, it's invaluable. Just being around the players, being in the locker room, going to practice. It's something I've been able to do as much in the last couple of years because of the timing of my show when I had it right. uh, was different. You know, the show ended at 7, yeah, and the game started at 7. There's no pregame show then. You know, you can't go and talk to, to the coaches. You can't talk to people before that, and then practice. If it goes long, it ran into my show, so I couldn't talk to the players. It's just it does. It ends up limiting you, and that was not the case this year. 
And I think then you limit the chances to like make friends at practices sure. that you can then rely on outside of practices. And then we've sense. been lucky that guys like Zach Harper have come into town. Right. We've been very good to talk to because yeah. uh, Zach's been around the league and knows a bunch of different people. Anyways, uh, that was just a weird side note. But you're still a KSL. You're staying at KSL and things right. are working well. We're excited to do that because a lot of people are asking if you're doing the triple team because you've added new content at KSL as well. Yeah, so we're doing the triple team this year, which is kind of the three things after every game. Like we did 99 times last year. The Jazz played 99 games. Uh, and then I'm doing this thing called the Jazz Daily, which is a daily report on whatever happened in jazz practice, jazz right. shoot-around. You know, and if there's not one of those two things, then uh, we'll talk about whatever else is still going on in jazz line. You know, social media, things I hear from other conversations I have around the team, whatever. So it's been a few weeks since we've done the Salt City Hoop show. A lot has changed in the NBA Players moving from big spots, big names moving from from team to team, and unfortunately they're all coming west, except yeah. for Dwayne Wade, which right. is good, I guess. But I'm not sure Dwayne Wade's even a, a, a power shifter anymore. But he, he's a guy who can be a good third or fourth player. Max Kellerman called him the best shooting guard in the league. That's uh, an ambitious thought. That's, that's an, <laughs> it's not right. It's not true. No, it hasn't been for some time. No, now, but <laughs> but yeah, you can say that. You can say stuff like that. Sure. It doesn't have to be right, though. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. Obviously, the Jazz, uh, Monday, got the season officially underway with Media Day. Right. Uh, we'll talk about that, some of the things we learned, some of the surprises there. You've been to practice the last couple of days. That's nice. And then the Jazz play on Monday against the uh, Australian team that's coming yeah, into town. Yeah, the, the Sydney Kings. And then they actually have a scrimmage tomorrow at Hill Air Force Base. That's not right. open to the public, but right. it is for the servicemen. And really, kind of our first chance, when I say our, I mean the media sure. and I guess those those servicemen, right. uh, to see the Jazz and, and kind of how they play against each other. So far, I've heard that basically... Defense is winning everything. Everything is very scrappy, and Not these surprising. are low-scoring games. You know, right? You have a bad offensive team and a legitimately great defensive team right. playing against each other. Uh, practice went really long today. Yeah, it was three and a half hours, um, which is not, you know, it's fine. That's a, yeah, that's a long practice for an NBA. Team. What time did they say it was going to end? Um, they never say when it's going to end. Right, anymore, but right? there's they kind of an assumption that you're going to show up at a so certain like, time. We showed up at noon and it ended at three thirty. Right. Um. So you know that's for uh, from this media perspective, it's three and a half hours waiting. In, and just so people closet, to clarify, uh, yeah, they don't let jazz fan or they don't let jazz media watch the game or watch the practice no, at all. Not there's at all. no practice being watched. So you're sitting in a room, and again, that's fine. There's yeah. drinks. There's coffee. There's you well, know what not I mean? anymore. But anyway, they got rid of the drinks. Well, is it a different? They room? haven't put it. The, yeah, it's a different room, and they haven't put the drinks in the new room yet because okay. they're renovating ZBBC. Uh, and I'm sure they will. But yeah, anyways, it's, yeah. So you can end up sitting in a room with no windows for three and a half hours. At least that was in the past. Maybe there's yeah. windows now in the new. It, but, no, there's not. But yeah. But also, they're giving you uh, access to the players so you can do your job. That's not a complaint. Right. No by one. Any yeah. No one's complaining about this. Right. This is just completely fine. But just uh, kind of setting the scene for you if you're if you're curious how this stuff works because I know a lot of fans are like uh, like to ask the media, hey, what are you seeing in practice? Right. Well, you don't see anything we in don't practice. See practice. Occasionally, when they let you in and you're kind of cycling players in, you'll see shooting contests among the players. You'll see mm -hmm. them working on free throws or weird little right. things, floaters. But mm -hmm. it's very rarely anything that you're actually going to say, well, yeah, everyone knows Dante Exum's working on his, his floater. Yeah. Because he has to. <laughs> like, right. There's no surprise you're going to learn there. Uh, and then you'll see like random centers working on threes. Like we saw Tony Bradley shooting threes yesterday. And okay. what do you know? He was bad at it. So, yeah. right. Uh, anyway, I... I don't think a three-and-a-half-hour practice is a surprise, given that today they didn't do two days. The last couple of days they did do uh, two practices per day. Today they only did one practice per day, so you might as well make it a long one. Right. Uh, so let's go back to Media Day yeah. and talk a little bit about what we learned at Media Day. Did anything jump out at you? I mean, was there the one thing that you saw? I mean, a couple of years ago we saw Gordon come back looking like an adult 
You know, right. Gordon Hayward came in looking like an adult one year, and and he it kind of showed on the floor. That was the one of the years he made a big step forward, even though he kind of always progressed. But there were times when there were things you would see or hear that kind of made sense and, and ended up playing out throughout the season. The one body change thing everyone's talking about is their favors being skinnier. It's really skinny. And he does look a lot skinnier. Yeah. Um, he doesn't look like himself uh, when right. you see him from far away. Uh, so that's that's really encouraging, right? And you know, hopefully it should make favors lighter and, and maybe kind of a return to the explosion that he had. Uh, two, three, two to three seasons ago. A bouncier said, Derek Favors. Right. He said it was the healthiest he's felt in a year and a half. Right, 18 months. So, yeah, he said a year and a half, I'm going to assume, that's, but that's two seasons. You right. know, if you go back about a year and a half, that's, that's, that's most of two seasons. Right. Because uh, clearly he was injured at the end of two seasons ago, right? Right. Uh, and so, yeah, if, if that's what he is and, you know, he's that 16 and 8 guy, that's maybe the Jazz's best, second best offensive weapon, right? Right. And again, the question is who's their best offensive weapon? And right. I, I think it's Rudy Gobert. A lot of people say it's Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood's been pretty inefficient. Uh, at least wasn't as good as he was two years ago last year. He was hurt, though, all season. We'll see how he plays there. Alec Burke's also coming back and was way more talkative to the media than he's ever been. He's progressively yeah, he's... gotten closer there. But I, I wonder if he's lost a little bit of that. You know, it was Kevin O'Connor who said he needs to act as cool on the floor as he does mm-hmm. around everyone else. He needs to play as well as he acts. Uh, maybe he's kind of realized he's he's got a... He's got to buy in more yeah. to what's going on in the world if he wants to stick around. <laughs> Honestly, like he's a father now too, right? Yeah, like, right. He's a he's. I'm sure he's just not a kid anymore like yeah. he used to be. So it would be good to have him and Derek Favors healthy. And I'm curious to see what they look like because those are guys who can up their scoring averages from what we've seen in the last season. Because yet when they were younger, they showed at least an ability to try and score the ball more. The other player everyone's blown away with is Donovan Mitchell, um, and you know maybe that's that's not surprising. Uh, Actually, no, I'll say it. That is surprising from a rookie. Because hmm. usually, when and, and maybe it's just that the Jazz have drafted late in recent years, although I dealt with Ennis Cantor's rookie year. Yeah. You know, I dealt with Dante Exum's rookie year. Those guys were younger than Donovan. But you heard a lot of, it's going to take some time. Right, even Trey Lyles. They're not, right, yeah, great point. Uh, it's, they're, they're still trying to figure out X, Y, and Z, right? Right. Everyone talks about Donovan as someone who's making an impact on their scrimmages and, and, and practices right now. And, you know, certainly we saw that at Summer League, although that's only at the Summer League level. People are saying, you know, against NBA-level players on the Utah Jazz, he's making an impact. Do you know, can you answer this for me, how open those, I mean, we know Alec Burks was playing at the UCLA gym. Yeah. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar, the UCLA gym, their summer runs are infamously incredible. And that's right. why I've, I've always kind of had an affinity for drafting players out of UCLA hmm. because I know if they're in UCLA over the summer, there's a good chance that a guy like, who's the Leaf kid, that TJ Leaf, that yeah. got drafted this year, uh, Russell Westbrook in the past. Some of these guys who don't even look great in college, sometimes even the Leaf was really good this past season, you know they're playing with NBA players all the time if right. they're around the UCLA gym because those guys come in and play. Earl Watson used to talk about it when he played for the Jazz and would do radio here. If you would go and hang out at the UCLA gym over your summer classes or even in between practices, Kobe would come in. All these players would come in and you would get a chance to play against them. Alec Burks talked about how he's been the, he, he's been playing with some of these guys though the week he was there, LeBron wasn't there. But the number of players we've seen uh, Donovan Mitchell playing with uh, in the I was gonna say Spider Mitchell because that's his Twitter account, but yeah, Donovan Mitchell playing with Paul George, Chris Paul, the guys yeah. he's been playing with. Is that 
widely available? Do they just let anyone come in and play? Do you have to get invited? Those? Do you have any, do you have any no, idea? No, I mean that's that's set up through his agency, right? So he's I think he's a CAA guy, and so are Chris Paul and Paul George. That's nice. So that, that's I, right. That's, I like that. That's a good advantage to be able to go a play go and play against superstars and understand what that off season workout looks like, what mm-hmm. they're how they practice, how they get ready for pickup games. I think that type of thing can help. And you. just so you know how much further you have to go, right? right. Like right. you. you Right, it's a very different level playing against eighteen to twenty-two year olds and playing against Chris effing Paul. And, right, you know, right. right. It, it's a different sort of level. They, you know, signing up with an agency or or having that opportunity allows you to see in what ways you're deficient. Right, uh, and, and I like that. And, and so I like that he's been in the off season doing that. And maybe in that sense, it's not that surprising that. Now that he is playing with other NBA guys, he's able to do some things that not every incoming rookie has the ability to do. Right. Uh, and I think that's promising. I'm trying to think of the last guy that the Jazz talked about because you would hear it a lot at Media Day. Who's the guy who surprised you? Who the guys who mm-hmm. stepped up and played well right away? The last guy who really stepped in and could do that for the Jazz. The, the, honestly, the name that jumps out to me is, and, and he was uh, undrafted, is Wes Matthews. Hmm. Now, Wes yeah. Matthews made the team because. CJ Miles, CJ Miles broke his thumb, yep. uh, and, and it ended up leaving a spot where the Jazz just needed that extra body. But I remember people saying, "Like this, Wesley Matthews can play. He's not just making the team." As sometimes the Jazz have carried horrible thirteenth players or fourteenth <laughs> yeah. players or fifteenth like, players who are just horrendous. Right. You you end up with like the Mike Harris's, of, you know, right? Like just right. Guys who are not NBA players who somehow make the roster because the Jazz want that extra body around for a little bit and with the intention of cutting them midseason. Yeah. Uh, Wes Matthews wasn't that guy, and everyone said, hey, this kid can play. He makes plays regularly. He knows how to do it. And I get that same impression from Donovan Mitchell. And a lot of people wanted to make that comparison between those two players. Hmm. That I don't think that's I don't think they're similar, even though they're both good defensive players. Wesley Matthews was a better three-point shooter, but a much bigger body. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you get that same type of contribution, though, early yeah. in his career that you saw from Wes Matthews. But because Donovan Mitchell's so much younger and has so much more athleticism, his potential is way higher than what Wesley Matthews had. Right. That's you know That was kind of what limited Wesley Matthews so he wasn't drafted. It was that he didn't have that, and he was a four-year senior. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's an interesting comparison. And you, know, you, you remember Wes Matthews in his first year defended Carmelo Anthony in, in, the, playoffs. in the playoffs, right? In, the in, a, in a series, series that they won, yeah. right? And... I, it's you can argue that the Jazz don't win that series without Wesley Matthews. Right. You can also argue that they don't win that series with like without Krilo Fasenko. So you know, or George Carl, or having cancer, right? <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> and going to Adrian Dantley as the coach. Adrian Dantley as a coach who just was just getting horrendous. destroyed by Jerry yeah. Sloan. Yeah, uh, but you know, sure, no, Wes absolutely. Matthews was part of it. He was on the floor, he and was obviously has turned out to be a very good NBA player, although yeah. less so since the Achilles. It's also the best basketball CJ Miles ever played in a Jazz uniform. And Fasenko. Yeah. There was a, just a weird series where Ronnie Brewer, Wesley, well, maybe Ronnie Brewer had already been traded by that yeah, point. Yeah, he, uh, but but CJ Miles and Wesley Matthews played really well, as did Fasenko. It was just a weird stretch of what, six games, I think, yeah. that ended up going where all three of those guys played really well, and then they were all gone off the team within two years. Yeah. It was, it was a bad curse for that Jazz team to win <laughs> that series. No, yeah. Um, other things that surprised me, weird, small things. Eric Griffin is the most soft spot. No, he didn't have a microphone in front of him, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why he sounded quiet. But you even asked him why the past year has been tough, and he didn't want to talk about it. And I, you never see guys pass up the ability to talk about their lives. Right. No, it was funny. Like He said that he had a contract signed with the Jazz or was about to, and uh-huh. then it didn't. It fell through for some reason. Right. right. I mean, that's that's a story, right? Right. If, if the Jazz could have had Eric Griffin a year ago. Right. It's not like Eric Griffin's a, a world beater, but certainly sure. it's it's something. And 
and he he didn't want to talk about it. And yeah, and that was the case of summer league where he just doesn't seem to want to talk about himself despite being really really demonstrative about it on the court. He's really demonstrative. He seems loud. He screams. Yeah, you know, he's that type of guy. And then he plays like that. Right. But you get him kind of in an area where he has to talk to people and he's the he's super soft spoken right. he's super reserved and and you don't some sometimes a lot of times guys attitudes match the way they play and yeah. it makes sense Think why like they play Draymond. that way right exactly right? exactly i mean yells does all those same things energy guy right. yells on the court right and then is incredibly bodacious in front of the media right tim duncan tim duncan yeah. is the most boring interview you're ever going to have i mean he's he's fine he's really intelligent mm-hmm. but that's exactly what he played he was boring, and he played intelligent. I mean, that's how he played on the floor, but he matched that uh, as an interview as well, I always thought. So well-spoken, but, uh, you know, he doesn't get up. He doesn't get down for anything. You know, he's not – his highs and lows aren't don't really exist. Yeah. Uh, and, and then one of the things I thought was really interesting, and we learned it from Nate Walters. Eric Griffin as well talked about it. But the tabs that the Jazz keep on players overseas when they're playing in Europe was something that – I mean, it sounds like the Jazz are almost checking in with these guys' agents weekly. Monthly, I mean very regularly talking to these guys, figuring out how their career is progressing. And I think a little bit with the guys themselves. You know, I, I think if you that's a little bit of tampering, and so maybe I don't know if you know, it's really happens. Quote, of course sure. it actually happens. Right. But, uh, Nate Walters, good example. He said that the Jazz liked him in the pre-draft process. Right. He spends two years in the NBA. Right. Uh, and then goes overseas. And then the Jazz are obviously watch him in the NBA, successful NBA player. Sure. The metrics are great, blah, 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 with the Bucks. Uh, goes overseas and then hears from the Jazz apparently relatively frequently. Like either the Jazz scouting, European scouting team goes and watches one of his games sure. and talks to him afterwards. Right. That happens all the time. Or knows the coaches or and the coaches say, hey, yeah, the Jazz scouts are here or whatever. Exactly. People he recognizes. I mean, think about how many international coaching ties the Jazz have at right. this point, right? Right. So, yeah, however that happens. And so Nate Walters knows, hey, the Jazz are interested in me. Hey, the Jazz right. are interested in me. Right. You know, so on and so forth until... Two, three years later, even after a season where, honestly, he wasn't that good overseas, the Jazz finally say, are like, hey, this two-way contract is a new thing in the NBA. Right. We, we're going to have the ability to sign you and give you $75,000 or whatever it is. Uh, do you want to do it? And Nate Walters says yes instead of yes to any other team. Um, to me, actually, Eric Griffin's a better story there because clearly there was there was more interest in signing Eric Griffin to a contract than Nate Walters. Uh, Royce O'Neal also said the same thing that he felt like the Jazz were keeping tabs on him. At least that was a yeah. name like that had been bounced around. And he, he, and I tried to get them to elaborate on it a little bit, and they didn't kind of like you did with uh, with Eric Griffin as well. And he just he, he didn't go into it a ton about you know how he talked to the Jazz or, or how this this whole contract came to be, but he just said he knew the Jazz were interested in him yeah. for a long time. And that a that's got to be maddening because it's just like sign me to a contract just give me right. give me the money i want to come play in the nba make me an nba player. but it's also motivating right like sure. if you know that nba teams are watching right you're gonna have a better you know you're gonna do different things than you would if 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 no one's watching and you're just right. stuck in siberia uh and, and funny backstories royce o'neill hosting dennis Lindsay's son on his recruiting trip at yeah. baylor now, that's not collusion. You know, I don't think Dennis Lindsay was like, let's get a Baylor guy on here and I'll make I'll make Baylor look good finally. Right. Uh, but, you know, you, you go back that far and you Everything know these people. Everything goes back to Dennis Lindsay's son with Baylor, right? Because right. remember the story of Donovan Mitchell? Right. Uh, his his son played Donovan Mitchell right. and, and the scouting report apparently was, was just Donovan so Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell right. intensive that it impressed right. Dennis. Um, Immensely. Immensely. Uh, it, it, I mean, uh, I don't know how much of these are anecdotes and how much of this really drives what happens, right? Sure. 
Sure. I know. You know what? It's also such a small community in some sense, and the Jazz do so much work. You could have that story for every player. Mm, you point. can go back. Even Nas that they were talking about. What's the Nas, Nas Long? Nas Long, yeah. Uh, who plays for the Jazz now out of Iowa State. Correct. The Jazz have an old coach who, who coaches at Iowa State now. Yeah. And you can I mean, always see. There's always a connection because there's just, it's just a small world. There's not that many people in it. And right. it's really hard to get jobs. And once you have a job, you've worked so far to get there. I mean, look at Quinn Snyder's story. Yeah. Going back to working with the Clippers and being married to Larry Brown's Larry daughter. Brown, yeah. You know, I mean, you, everyone has a weird story. Everyone has a crazy way of getting there and knows somebody and roomed with somebody and hosted mm-hmm. somebody. It just, it, it's inevitable that there's going to be this, these incestuous relationships throughout the league. Yeah. Uh, other things that I thought were uh, a little bit interesting. I thought Dante looked matured. He looks yeah. older in his face a little bit. His body doesn't look significantly different. But there is a difference as, as kind of going passed. from being that kid to being a <laughs> yeah. man. And, and I think that, that changes how you are uh, physically. It changes how you are mentally as far as your maturity goes. And we'll see if that can translate onto the court because that's a guy the Jazz could use if his skill set can catch up to his potential. Right. And I, you know, I, I honestly don't know if it, that's one of the things I'm most excited to see tomorrow is because I remember – Last year's scrimmage, he looked like a player who hadn't played in 14 months. Right. And then, honestly, never really progressed a right. ton beyond that. I mean, I, obviously, the play, by the playoffs, I think he was a, a contributor in some sense. If there's um, one, this is just a weird... But he might get outplayed by, say, Alec Burks, right? Sure. And all of a sudden fall out of the rotation, and then it's it's really rough. That's an interesting battle. Alec Burks versus Dante Exum of, of who ends up getting some of those backup minutes at mm-hmm. the... I mean, because Donovan Mitchell could legitimately play your backup point guard, and he sure. looks like he has the ability to do that. Then you're looking for backup shooting guard minutes for Dante Exum and Alec Burks, and whoever can compete most readily and kind of contribute... Uh, is going to get those minutes, and the other guy's probably not going to get a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where the question comes in. What's the one skill that Dante ought to be able to show that could keep him on the floor? Well, it's defense, right? I, I don't know, because this team is so anemic offensively. Mm. They might need somebody who can score in some way or another. Right. And that might just be Dante Exum being able to hit threes at the same rate he did in summer league. Because if he can shoot the ball like he did there, certainly above the break, he still hasn't seemed to be able to knock down a corner three when he's wide open. But if he's a guy who can hit open threes and space the floor a little bit that way, yeah. and you can make him just a spot-up shooter, he can come in and play because I'm not anticipating that Alec Burks becomes a 40% three-point shooter either. No, I mean, well, Alec's been at like 37. He's been better the last year. He's just right. never on the floor. Yeah, and, and uh, that's the thing. And So you need to be almost as good as Alec is at shooting the ball, which is fine but not great. And then you also need to be significantly better defensively, right? Yeah. And, and kind of be – on the level of a Donovan Mitchell or at least a Howell Neto, you know, as someone who's uh, doing the right thing right. in the system. And that that's what really frustrated Jazz coaches last year and why Shelvin Mack ended up getting so much of that playing time is that Dante would do the wrong thing more frequently than Shelvin would and kind of ruin it for everybody else. This is a weird team from last year because there are names like that that A— I mean, jazz fans were so ready to get rid of Shelvin Mack yeah. that you forget he's on the you you forget he's not on the team. Right. But you also forget he was on the team. You know, it's that sense where it's like he was such an afterthought at times, and he's been gone now for so long. It was so unceremonious when he left that there will be times when you're thinking like, "Oh man, I forgot that the Jazz point guard last year for long stretches was, was Shelvin, Shelvin Mack." Mack. Right. And Dante for, did play more minutes than Shelvin. Right. But there were long stretches. I mean, two years ago, Shelvin Mack, you know, Jazz traded for him halfway through the starting, season, right. and he started after game one, and he was good. He was good. So there, this is going to be a, a fun. I, I like change. I'm a fan of change, yeah. of shaking up the status quo, and that's one of the things. Now that we get to watch the team, you're you're not really a fan of it anymore. Uh, I like just seeing how the different pieces work and what what 
Dennis Lindsay tries to build and then what Quinn Snyder is able to do with those pieces. I, I like seeing new things maybe because I'm just a child and I want to see shiny yeah. <laughs> new things, but I'm excited to see new things and new faces and new skill sets. I'll tell you, like, aesthetically, I think offensively this team will, I, I don't know how pretty it'll be, but I think in some ways how bad they'll be on offense, I don't know how, if they'll be bad, but let's say they're, they're below average, right? Which is not a stretch. Nope. Uh, <laughs> not a stretch at all. I think there will be a more pretty offense than a normal below average offense team would be because of the way that they pass and share the ball and especially how Ricky Rubio can can see things that no one else does. And to me that's my favorite part of basketball is yeah. when players make good passes. Oh man, I didn't see that kind yeah, of play. Right. Right. Uh even, you know, watching from above to not see something coming. That kind of like right. that kind of IQ connection kind of thing. Uh is is my favorite part of Let's talk more about that. Some things that should be fun to watch that we haven't been able to see from the Jazz in past okay. years. And Tom Hackett asked me a good question. I was on on Monday after uh, Media Day. Yeah. He asked me a really good question. I want to ask you, coming up on the other side, it's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Utah Jazz for KSL.com. And uh, the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, which is the namesake of this show, though we could just call it the Andy Larson Show. No, that's not. Why good. not? Yes. It would be good. What? Salt City Hoops is still something I care about. And is, I'm glad you is care about name. People care about you, though. People care about the Andy Larson show. I care Thank about you, the Andy Larson show. They also care about Ben Anderson and certainly cared a lot about Zach Harper. Yeah, way more than Ben Anderson. Uh, anyways, uh, Tom Hackett asked me <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a good question on Monday. Oh, by the way, we should shout out our Twitters real quick. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Tweet us. I'm sorry. I know I kind of jumped into this quickly. Uh, first of all, you can call us, 877-353-0700, 877-353-0700. Tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson. You have questions. We usually open the show like that. I know it's been a while. I'm a little rusty yeah, with good. the Salt City Hoop show. Tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Yeah. Ben's Hoops. Uh, on Twitter, you we would love to hear from you. You have questions, things you want to know about Media Day. Anyone tweeting at you or no? Uh, no, we don't. Okay, Tom I mean, Hackett. People who are not asking questions about the show, so okay. we'll go with that. Okay, yeah, we don't want to answer your personal life going on here. <laughs> uh, Tom Hackett asked me, "What was the one skill Rudy Gobert could add that would most help his offensive game this hmm. season? Because he's never going to be a shooter. He's yeah. I don't think he's a touch guy, so I don't think he's ever going to be great uh, outside of dunking." But right. I could be wrong. He could be better at finishing. He's gotten stronger, and that's helped him with some of those and ones that we've seen. Uh, but what's the one skill he could continue to get better at that would make him a even better offensive player beyond his just incredible efficiency? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, before last year, I would have had to say, you know, catching the ball was the issue, right? right. It was just so right. many turnovers. And it was significantly better last year. And he was fine with it last And Rubio's going to make him even better because he yeah. knows where to give him the ball. Right, because so many times part of the problem was with that early was that he was getting the ball super low, right. and he's just not going to do well with low passes. He's right. Rudy Gobert. Get him the ball high. Right. Uh, but I would say now, I mean, honestly, you're, you're probably looking at some sort of short finishing move that he needs to be better at. Okay. Um, I mean, everyone always is like, the sky hook. <laughs> give him the yeah, sky right, hook, right? right. And sure, if you give him the most unstoppable shot in NBA history, right. like he's that nobody else has ever better. shot. It's also understood right. three people have ever shot it, and maybe it's two, maybe it's just Wilt, and yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know I don't even know how well Wilt shot it, yeah, but we know Kareem was dominant with right. it. You know, so yeah, give him the sky hook, and he'll be fine. Like I've seen eight um, seconds of Wilt's career playing against Bill Russell, and he shot it one time, and I think Bill <laughs> Russell did too, and Wilt blocked it that one time, yeah. and then Kareem was amazing at it. Right, but that's it. Those are the only three people I've ever even seen attempt it. Right. 
apparently Hot Rod Huntley could do it. Like that's how he played coming out of <laughs> Iowa State or West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia. it was not good, right? Like, then, Hot well, Rod Huntley was a draft bust. Uh, number one overall pick. That. Bad feet. That's what I heard. He had bad feet. Right, that's true. So injury, injury related, but anyway. Uh, also never played defense, so that was, that was another part of it. We're getting off on a lot of tangents today, okay. but to answer, your, to answer your question for reals, uh, short finishing around the rim, um, I almost think like a Robin Lopez esque hmm. offensive game okay. would would help him a little. Bit. Uh, I, I uh, this is just you could add another ten percent to his free throw percentage, and I think he sure. actually has the ability. Yeah. He could get up to I know those are just basic numbers, but he could get up to eighty percent because he just has that work ethic. The type of guy he he I, I saw someone compare him to this, and he'll never be Carl Malone offensively. Don't get me wrong, but he's got that same type of work ethic where he could come back better every year at something. And actually, what was Carl Malone's career path? The two things he really got significantly better at, I mean, he, he gained this jump shot, which was unbelievable by the end of his career, but free throws, and he became a much better passer throughout his career. Yeah. And those are actually two things that I think were my answer for Tom, was that if Rudy can get up close to 80% as a free throw shooter, because he's so good rolling to the rim that you have to foul him, otherwise he's going to dunk on you, if he's going to shoot 80% from the free throw line, then you can't stop him when he's rolling to the rim. Uh, and if he can continue to become a better passer, you can give him the ball in different spots and have him be effective. I, I think... Rudy's already an above-average passer. For Absolutely, but he, he, he's not, you know, Andrew Bogut in his prime. No, he's not some of those, and he could get there. He's oh, actually the type of guy who I think works hard enough that you can give him the ball at the elbow and let him operate from there and say, hey, you, you can really be better. Because Andrew Bogut's never had finishing moves either. Andrew Bogut's right. not a great offensive player outside of his ability to pass, but because he was so good on dribble handoffs and ability to find guys cutting to the rim from some of those spots, uh, he, he, you could always have him on the floor and you could almost run your offense through him. And I think Rudy could continue to get better there. He's definitely more skilled than Rudy was. But yeah, I, yep. I, I see what you're saying. Uh, we do have a question now, by the way, from Yorjo Spinias, our, our favorite Greek fan. Yep. Uh, Rodney Hood or Dante Axon for most improved player? Rodney. Yeah, I think Rodney. But might. that's because Rodney already has the skills. You just got to get healthy. There's and way exactly. less learning curve there. That's that's exactly right. Um, and I think, you know, we we heard from Rodney in media day. He said that's his season goal is he wants to be named most improved player. Dante, you know, didn't say that. Now it's not like he he may have said that if we had asked him that question. Uh, but Dante's realistic goal is get another contract. Yeah, that's. I mean, he, he'll get another contract. I think. Yeah, but even earn another contract, play, but earn it beyond just being a, still a potential guy. Yes, yes, uh, and get a four-year deal right, or a three-year deal. Somewhere. If he's a contributor, he will make four years forty. You know, right? Uh, and he could get there. He could absolutely get there. Uh, and there will be opportunities on this team for him to get there. But uh, Rodney Hood should absolutely be the make the bigger jump. I agree. I, just because I think the role is there. I, I honestly don't know how many minutes there's going to be for Dante Exum. Yeah. There's going to be minutes and a whole lot of responsibility on Rodney Hood. Yeah. Even if Rodney Hood's not good, they can't take him away for anybody else. They don't have that extra body there. The That's problem the is if Dante's not great, you put Donovan Mitchell in there. You let Ricky Rubio stay in the game longer. You play Alec Burks there. You play Howell Neto, yeah. like we've Royce seen before. Royce O'Neal. You know, like, honestly, there are potentially minutes there for guys who could step <laughs> Nate in Walters, and play. Walters, call him up. We'll okay, see. That, that's probably harsh. We'll see what happens with Nate Walters. Nate Walters. We'll see. Well, the Jazz have 16 players under contract, plus their two. Uh, right, they're not... Nate Walters is not making this roster. No, he's, he's, he's going to be a two-way guy. With the but stars. you could bring him up and play him when you want to. Sure, you know, if, you do have that opportunity to play those guys if you need to. And Nate Walters was good when he was in the NBA. He was not yeah. good when he was overseas. But he's the type of guy who the Jazz may say, "Hey, we've got a a guy in Howell Neto who's as good as Nate Walters." If you decide that, and Nate Walters costs a third as much, so maybe we get rid of Howell Neto. Yeah, I uh, could I could honestly see that. Uh, there's a report on Hoops Hype that. Joel Ballenboy's contract is guaranteed for the rest of the season if they don't waive him by October 1st. 
Right. I haven't been able to confirm that. Uh, he was asked about it in uh, at, I know at media day and kind of skirted around it and said he's not worried about it. Said that's why he hires an agent. Yeah, which is what everyone, every player asks when asked about a contract issue. But I'm curious to know whether or not it's actually true. Um, so anyway. We'll see if there's roster movement before that then for the Jazz. But that's I would be surprised if they didn't bring him around by October 1st. I mean, if that's three days, that's Sunday. Right, that's Sunday. So I can't imagine they're going to get rid of him before that. But then, okay, but then you've got to pay him for the rest of the year or waive somebody else or yeah. waive him a week from now, right? Yeah, or so, trade him for something okay. in the future. Maybe. So there's yeah, so a there's, there's, second rounder for him, or or even less than that. You know what, what was the heavily protected? We've seen picks that were protected through the first fifty five picks, which is just you means we're just never going to get that pick, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that, that there's some interest there for the Jazz. Uh, Rudy Gobert's skill set. What does he come back with this year that he didn't have last year? Because every year, seemingly, he has added something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then surprise moments that we were talking about, things that we weren't able to see last year. Ball movement from all five positions on the floor. George Hill was a good passer, but he wasn't. He's a very average passer for a point guard. Yeah. Now, an average point guard passing is probably still one of your better passers on the floor. Should always be your second or third best passer, and certainly was last season because the Jazz, other than Gordon Hayward, I don't think had these elite passers in any spot other than maybe Joe Ingles when he was on the floor too. Right. I mean, again, Rudy Gobert is an above average passer for his sure. position, and certainly but, Boris. Right. Yeah, Boris, Boris was, was great when he would play. Uh, but 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 I think now getting a guy like Ricky Rubio, who's truly an elite passer, one of the five best maybe in the NBA, uh, that uh, that also is contagious. And though yeah. that's why you see guys like when Andre Karolinko played for the team, there were spectacular passes from lots of different guys on the floor. Even the guys who weren't great passer, Boozer would make good passes occasionally when he was playing with Andre because you get in that, that mode of moving the ball. And when you do move the ball, one of the reasons why passes become available is because guys get open. Right. And then you can make passes that don't exist otherwise, and Ricky, Ricky Rubio will, 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 will do that for the Jazz this season. Yeah, clearly people from Minnesota or Spain, the players who have played with Ricky Rubio, FC Barcelona even, Joe Ingles, right, of course, was was a teammate and even roommate of, of Ricky Rubio, uh, love playing with the guy. So uh, I think that's going to be and and he does the nice thing is about Ricky Rubio is he plays on both ends mm-hmm. so I don't think you get soured by the fact that he does one thing well and nothing else well right he he's does, not that type he does of guy two things well uh, and that's <laughs> where a guy like Al Jefferson was probably frustrating to play with yeah where yeah we get it Al like you are worth p- dumping the ball down to when it's late in the clock and we need to to get a shot off and he was great at it and he's really good at it. But it's really hard to justify that when you're not doing anything anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's got to be a hard thing to play with a guy like that who's expecting to get the ball that often. Right. Uh, and Ricky Rubio's not that case because he's going to be unselfish and then he's going to do his, the dirty work on the other end too. And I think that, that those types of guys are fun to play with. Yeah, I, I'm curious. It's been interesting uh, so far in trading camp. You know, Rubio's the guy who's been with the team the least, right? Everyone else is kind of doing the, the practices and, and pickup games and everything else the two, three, four weeks before right. training camp actually started. Rubio's brand new, just came in this week because he was playing in Eurobasket. And made it to and, the, the semifinals. Right. And then there's a third place game even. So, you know, it's, it, you played the whole tournament. Uh, everyone, I, the, the couple of impressions I've heard so far are one, he's still bad at shooting. Okay. <laughs> and two, he's better defensively than we thought he was going to be. Even better. Yeah, right. Because the Jazz thought a couple thought years ago he was the best. <laughs> I, think, I think the front office and coaching staff thought that. I don't think the players huh. realized what the defensive force he's been in. Interesting. You know, at least committed defensive force, which you know maybe has changed since last year. Remember, we, we heard that Ricky Rubio had some slippage defensively in, in right. Tom Thibodeau's system. Right. Uh, and maybe that's changed. He's, he talked today about Quinn's system gives him more freedom to be more aggressive on the ball and more aggressive in chasing his 
and chasing steals and those sorts of things than Tibbs' very rigid, uh, sure. which has, has worked well. For... well. And he's a great defensive coach. I would also wonder if there's been a care factor for Ricky Rubio for a while because yeah. when you play for five coaches in five years, your your buy-in factor is going gonna, is gonna to drop because you're just saying there's a new guy and a new guy in Minnesota. Even when they got all these young players, Ricky had to question, A, is he a part of this team going forward? Are they going to move him? And he was always talked about it at trade deadlines and, and in off seasons about a type of guy who was going to be moved. You wonder if he lost his care factor playing for Minnesota, and now that he knows the Jazz don't really have that replacement for him, if, if that allows him to buy back in and, and kind of reinvent himself, which yeah. a, a new environment can do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we, we talked about Rubio, but there are other new names on this Jazz team that we got to talk to really for the first time. Ekbeudo, Tabo Cephalosha. We'll talk about those guys as well when we come back. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet your questions at him. You can also tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. Or you can give us a call. You have thoughts on the Jazz as the season gets started Monday. The first preseason game, 877-353-0700. Uh, second hour coming up here, starting at 8 o'clock. We're going to talk more about the Jazz, some of the new faces. We met Ekbe Udo. We met Tabo Cephalosha. I thought they had a couple of interesting things to say. But there is a weird bit of news that's come out. Uh, if you already hate the Golden State Warriors, you're going to hate them more now. Yeah, so they... Release a super weird statement today that honestly just shouldn't have been a public statement, but it reads, Out of an abundance of goodwill towards the city of Oakland, the Warriors have agreed to cover the entirety of the city's estimated cost from this summer's NBA championship parade, despite the fact that the revised amount of $786,000 is more than double the $300,000 estimate the Warriors were provided by the city in the lead-up to the parade. In other words, they're complaining about having to pay for their own championship parade. Right. As opposed to having the city front the money. As opposed, exactly. For the city of Oakland, you know, a city that probably needs all the money it can get. Also a city the Warriors are abandoning for San Francisco. Yes. With their new arena. Right. The Warriors made $51 million last year. The Warriors made, in the finals, $15 million in gate receipts per game. And that's that's after cost. I mean, that that, that is yeah. that is profit. Yeah. That's not, hey, we spent $100 million or $130 million on our salary and only made 50 and we're negative $80 million. Right, you don't have to pay the players for the playoffs. No, they're in that's the black $15 million, $50 million right. that they just get per game, right. per finals game. Because their tickets are very expensive sure. and everyone's buying merchandise and the hot dogs are $59 right. and it's it's the Bay Area and everything else. You make $15 million per game. You have the opportunity to pay $786,000 right. because you won an NBA championship. That's extraordinarily lucrative. And I get that people, you're whining, you know, you had to pay $400,000 more than you budgeted for. It's a bummer, but, like, don't don't be so stupid as to, like, whine about it publicly. Right. What what kind of like what goodwill charity, do you get out of it? Yeah, what yeah. goodwill do you get out of it? What, what kind of charity do you get does it, it seem like you're? And like you pointed out, they're leaving the city of Oakland. Right. It's it's just uh, NBA owners and and really increasingly the rich as sports a whole, owners. But yeah. Anyway, uh, are so out of touch with like what their money movements look like. Right. And, and I get you love your 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 
last million as much as your first million. They, they say, you know, and that's kind of right. the thing. That's why billionaires never like spending money just to spend money because they like their money just as much as everyone else likes mm-hmm. their money. Uh, but at the same sense, I'm with you, especially because none of their numbers are private. That's the other thing. Like, we know how much you spent to buy Jordan Bell in the second round. You spent three and a half million dollars right. on a second round draft pick for a guy who's honestly, and even though it sounds like a great pick and it seems amazing, that's a good move for them. How many minutes does he play? How many did Patrick McCaw play last year? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, what do you average? Four, four minutes a game, a honestly? Yeah, it's just like a, it's a luxury. And you spent three and a half million dollars to buy a second round pick for a guy who, in all honesty, you would have won the championship without this coming season. Sure. He's just, he, he, it's fun. He, he's an auxiliary piece. He's not a piece that you absolutely need to, to, to win next season. Uh, but yeah, you spent three and a half million dollars on him plus his salary. Don't complain about four hundred thousand dollars extra you spent for a parade. Yeah, it's a parade. Like, you should be thrilled about throwing championship parades. And instead, you're whining about it. I, I, I this is, it doesn't make sense to be this upset about it. Like, who cares? It's good for them, I guess, for in the end doing the right thing. But don't, don't brag about it. Don't just say, oh, because out of an abundance of goodwill towards the city of Oakland, it's just so whiny. You know, we have made this decision despite our disappointment between the large disparity with the large disparity between the two estimates. I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure out how they built the Chase Arena, which is the one that's going to be in San Francisco now on the other side of the bay. I'm trying to figure out if they got tax money for that because, again, no one's going to care if uh, if if you had to spend an extra $500,000 if you're building a billion-dollar arena in San Francisco and even a portion of it's paid for with tax money by a team that's making $50 million in the playoffs. Right, and a, a team that is worth legitimately 3 to $4 billion, right? Right. The Houston Rockets were worth $2.5 billion. Think about how much... The Warriors are worth right. Uh, well, they got the biggest jersey patch deal. Yep, twenty million dollars for a season, not for, for the season, not right. for the lifetime of this deal. They got twenty million dollars for season to give from you an a, idea. A the Japanese jazz. Amazon, right? I mean, that's what it is. The 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 company they got. Yeah, what, is, what is it called? I, it I is. Remember. It's just a, but it's a it's an online right store. In uh, Japan. The Jazz got four million right per year, right from Qualtrics, right? So uh, they're getting uh, they're. Three hundred million dollars with their naming rights for the Chase Center. Mm-hmm. Three hundred million dollars. I mean, dude, that's insane. Just to, to be able They're to call it the Chase million Center. Three hundred million total. Is that or was it per year? What what's the arena? I'm looking at Forbes.com here. It says Arena Funding got a major boost when J.P. Morgan Chase locked up the naming rights twelve months ago for twenty years at a price estimated to be Ooh. in the neighborhood of three hundred million dollars. It's the richest naming rights deal ever in the United States. So again, you got three hundred million dollars just to put up a sign on your arena. Nobody cares about four hundred thousand dollars you got to spend for a parade. Yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody, right? Uh, it's it's a phenomenal lack of like awareness, un- awareness, social and awareness, understanding and yeah. uh, especially when you're talking about the comparison between Oakland and San Francisco. I mean, you, yeah, uh, I've heard stories of people making ninety thousand dollars working in San Francisco when you have to go live in Oakland and you live in a one bedroom place. It's just so insanely yeah, expensive. You can't you can't live in San Francisco. I mean, it, it's it's absurd. Uh, and then I mean. To kind of put this, uh, I guess let's tie it back to the Utah Jazz a little bit. Uh, we mentioned the the naming rights for the building. There's also the the local TV contract too, uh, and the Warriors are I think they're signing their new one next year. Uh, I'll have to check on that. But you know the Lakers signed theirs two years ago for a hundred million dollars a season. Right. The Jazz's is twenty million dollars a season. Yeah. Think about what that does to how much you're able to spend on your salaries, right? It's not that the Jazz are losing money. There's, they're, they are not. They're thanks to the NBA's revenue sharing agreement. 
The Jazz are making money and plenty of it. Uh, it, it uh, what I'm seeing here is Chase Arena had no taxpayer funds, which is a great okay, thing. Good. If you can do that, that's nice. But again, $400,000 when you're printing money, uh, no one has sympathy for you in that sense. So, uh, yeah, weird. And, and I don't want to say the Warriors aren't going to win the championship this year. They're no, they the will. overwhelming favorite to do it. But they've also played in three straight finals. You, you know, that, that they've put a lot of tax on that body now, even though I know Durant's only been to one now. We'll, we'll see how this team holds up. I'm curious to see if this team can continue to grow. I mean, they have real competition in the Cavs, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, they... The Cavs might win two games this year. They might win yeah. three games this year, but in the end, I mean, they're they're still brokenly talented. So we're going to talk about that coming up on the other side, the latest news with big names moving around in the NBA and how it impacts the Utah Jazz, including Carmelo Anthony and Dwayne Wade changing teams. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson, the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. 700, he, Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. You had me the whole time there? I don't know if you heard me. He's Andy Larson. Find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I'm Ben Anderson. Andy is the managing editor of Salt City Hoops and the beat writer for KSL.com covering the Utah Jazz. Uh, we met a couple of new players for the Jazz. Yeah. Guys I'd never talked to. Uh, certainly Ekbe Udo. I've never talked to him before. I don't believe. Generally, you know, Tavo Cephalosha has been in the league for so long. He passes through locker rooms. You yeah. see him. Uh, he's a guy who's been around. Ekbe Udo's was in the NBA, was gone from the NBA, and now was back in the NBA. And I bet you he finishes his career. In the NBA. I now, think so, too. Uh, I, we haven't seen him play since he's come back. But again, I asked him about this. He had no idea what I was talking about because I asked a bad question. But I said, you know, has the, has the NBA adapted to your game more than your game adapting to the NBA? Which Jonas Drebko told us he had to adapt his game to the NBA. Well, and I think that was uh, not to attack your question. It was a bad but question. Like, I think for a player, you don't want to think that it's because the game has changed. You want to think it's because you're better. You've, you're and better, and you've he is better. And he is. Like, to be the MVP of the EuroLeague is... An incredible accomplishment. Right. Right. And he went and played against good competition in the EuroLeague. And yeah. he, and his team won. And that's how they made the Final Four. I mean, they, they did all these good things. Uh, he, he really played well. You're right. But I asked him, you know, has the, does this NBA match your game better now? And he was like, no, it doesn't. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Because it does better. But that's why I think he'll end his career in the NBA now. Because he's got a skill set as a guy who can, can mostly get his baskets rebounding and dunking, but can defend pretty much several positions, and is a good passer. Well, that's what you want in a backup big man now. If you've got a guy who can do that, who can defend multiple positions, defend the pick and roll, pass, rebound, is athletic, block some shots, that guy's going to stick around in the NBA. Uh, So I think he's going to make it in the NBA. He was way more confident being on this basketball team than I anticipated him being. Really? I, I, I think I expected him to be given his... How comfortable he is on social media, and given how comfortable he is interacting with fans and that sort of thing, I expect those guys to be good with the media as well. Right. Uh, and I thought that he, I thought he was confident, but still kind of quiet. Huh. Um, and I thought that 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 to me surprised me that he uh, didn't have you know a, a 
clear message that he wanted to share with this media day, if that makes sense. And I thought he would be more humbled because he had left the NBA and was out of the NBA after being a lottery pick and then coming back and trying to re-earn it. A lot of those guys do kind of, you get your legs cut out from under you a little bit and then you come back and have to re-earn your way. And I, I didn't sense that from him. Even when he walked in, he kind of asked how everyone was doing before yeah, he'd okay. met anybody. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I mean, that, and then again, trying to attribute somebody based on what has happened so far in their NBA career to what their personality would be. You know, yeah. uh, Trey Burke should be the most humble person on earth, and he's not. <laughs> you know, so th- there's no real— Still turning down NBA contracts. Still turning down offers, apparently. So th- th- there's no direct correlation there. But that was surprising to me. Uh, but I was surprised at how kind of confident he was. Honestly, I was surprised by that. Tabo Cephalosha is just insanely well-spoken, but that's not a huge surprise. And it's the reason why he's been in the league since 2006. He's super smart. And you you talk to his Atlanta teammates. You know, I had the chance to talk to Torian Prince at Summer League because oh. he played for the, the Hawks Summer League team. And I asked him kind of how how did you interact with Tabo? You know, what was he like in the locker room? And he really credited Tabo Cephalosha with mentoring him in yep. terms of how to become a good defensive player in the league. And we saw Prince take a whole lot of Cephalosha's minutes in the playoffs. That must have been hard for Tabo, but for him to still continue to mentor Torian and kind of, uh, you know, be a good soldier, so to speak, even sure. while the young guy is taking your minutes is right. a big thing. Um, I looked at how the Hawks have done defensively over the last four years. Okay. So he joined the Hawks three years ago. Four years ago, they were a very average defensive team, about 15th. Okay. Since then, they're 8th, 6th, and 7th, I believe. In the last so they're a top 10 team. They're a top 10 team. It really does coincide with Tabo Selfosha coming there, and not a whole lot else. You know, They had Al Horford before. Um, when Paul did Bud Mussat get there? Before, right, and then Bud coming two seasons so Stephalosha okay. was there, I believe, one season before Bud was. I'll have to double-check on that. But sure, Bud certainly helped over, oh, I don't even remember. Was Mike Woodson their coach before then? I believe so. Uh, so that helps, you know, having a good coach. Culture change. But I wonder if Tabo, I kind of asked Tabo, now you're joining not an average team and trying to make them good. You're having. You're joining a great defensive team and, average, and asking them to become elite, right? You know, best in the league. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if he can make an impact on that in a in a real way, you know, more than say having Gordon Hayward guarding guarding the team's best wing player or, or Rodney Hood or someone like that. Tyler missed right? fewer games than I thought he did after the leg injury. After he got his leg broken, yeah, I thought he missed more games. Season. Uh, he missed. He played fifty two games his first year in uh, Atlanta, which was 2014-2015, and then seventy five, and then sixty two. Yeah, I, I thought he had played fewer games for Atlanta than that, just because he did kind of become an afterthought on that team because they were really good because they had Paul Millsap, and before last season they had Al Horford, and they've had some guys that have been uh, really good. And they had one of the better five-man rosters in the NBA, and they were you know, finishing with the, the top record in the East or certainly competing for that spot. Uh, Tabo was an afterthought on that team to me. Uh, but you're right, and he's been a good player, and he's been really kind of an integral part, even though he doesn't score the ball ever. The other thing, well, actually, let me let me stop you there. His teammates so far in the Jazz have been impressed with how much he's been doing on the offensive end. Okay. Um, and it's not just sh- shooting the ball where last year I think he was a 35% three-point shooter. His best year in Oklahoma City, he was a 42% three-point shooter. If he's 42%, he's legitimately helpful on offense, right? Absolutely. 35%, eh. But he's also been a whole lot better in the last two seasons, both in, in Atlanta, uh, at things like running a pick and roll, which is something he never did in his first, you know, eight years in the league that he's, he's doing now. Uh, he's doing a lot better cutting towards the basket, which, you know, is kind of the non-shooter's way of contributing, but he's timing those kind of things better. You talk to his coaches 
in Atlanta again. This is something I did at summer league, uh, and you you read like Atlanta fan blogs like like Peachtree Hoops, and they were really impressed with the offensive strides Tabo Cephalos has huh. made in his game, even at age I think he's thirty two, thirty three now. Right. So that's going to be really interesting to see is if if he's good on offense and can kind of play within Quinn's system and and pass the ball quickly and those sort of things, hit the open shot from the corner. He could get a lot of minutes, and actually there's a case for him even to, to start. Uh, he could play kind of the George Hill role for the Jazz. Because you remember there was a lot of times when George Hill would come down. He'd set up the offense a little bit, but George, Kill, George Hill would end up in the corners a lot. Mm-hmm. Tabo Cephalosha can do that and then on the other end be a wing defender. I right. mean, it's, it's it's a very basic uh, 3 and D type of guy. Yeah. you know. But but George Hill was not this this Ricky Rubio type passer who's going to come in and run this offense and be expected to break down all these off you know these defensive players and and get the ball moving as much. Pablo Cephalosha could in a sense replace some of those skills that George Hill gave you. Uh, he's not going to be as good as George Hill. I'm not anticipating that, but he could replace some of those while he's on the floor, especially if Ricky Rubio is not a shooter. And I do think it's valuable to have everyone on your floor being able to run a dribble handoff and a pick and roll, right, and not fall all over themselves, right? If you give Chris Johnson the ball and have him run a pick right. and roll, it's going to be ugly. Right. Uh, certainly we can think of someone on the Jazz last year who who struggled at that. You know, uh, I don't think Tabo Selfosha is that guy. I don't think he's going to fall over himself. I think he's done a actually pretty good job with the Hawks. Like I say, especially last season, though, the season before that started with that uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of playmaking as well. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha's first 300 games in the NBA, he was about a 46% effective field goal percentage guy, uh, which is not great. No. Uh, but you look over his last, let me pull this up real quick, his last 500 games, 450 games, he's about a 53% effective field goal percentage guy, which is much easier to have on the floor. Uh, so he can score a ball, at least at a somewhat efficient rate there, at least certainly more than he started the league. And, and, you know, I do tend to look at these guys when they come into the league, and he joined with Chicago. And then he moves to Oklahoma City, and you start to get this thought like, oh, he's a journeyman, he's being moved around, he's a role player. You, you don't look necessarily at the types of skills that they have. Uh, but but guys get better, and, and he's a good case of a guy who you kind of look at as just a defensive player who's actually improved his offensive game, and, and that's what you were saying you've learned from the Atlanta blogs as well. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's not a it's not a game changer. It's not that he's going to be great. Uh, but he had a pretty close PER to to what Rodney Hood did last year. So, you know, right, and, and that that could say a lot. Rodney Hood's a guy who the Jazz are, are banking on heavily, and if he's not out there, uh, playing extraordinarily well, there are going to be times uh when when you probably can't play him as much, especially if he's not a great defensive player, and you'll you'll err on a guy like Tabo Cephalosha because he comes in and gives you a really strong skill set on the defensive side of the ball. Rodney Hood is a guy who's eligible for an extension. Would you imagine that gets done before Halloween generally is close to the deadline? No, the more I hear about this, the more I hear that it's unlikely. And I think a couple of different things happened with this. One, T.J. Warren signed his extension, and that's for four years, $50 million. Right. That's a ton of money for a guy who can't shoot a ball right. at all. Right? right. Like He's a very inside-the-arc, uh, medium-efficient scorer who's also you know not a tremendous defender. It's clearly just kind of a—you uh, have a— Guy, young guy with potential on a bad team. You need to give him money so he stays around. But it does, in some sense, set Ronnie Hood's deal. The other one that's kind of similar is is Gary Harris and how much money he gets. Mm-hmm. Gary Harris has probably done more in the NBA than Ronnie Hood has. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and was better last year than Ronnie Hood was. Last and was year. better last year, right? And I believe is younger, though. I'll have to check on that probably true because he was a year because Rodney Hood's a year older than his class right uh 
Because so, he had to say, if you just, we talk like this sometimes, he had to sit out a year when he transferred from Mississippi State to Duke. So he sat out a year. So him coming out as a sophomore, he was actually a junior, which is one of the reasons why he was so good at Duke. He was very physically mature compared to a lot of those guys. Yeah. Gary Harris is 23. Rodney Hood is 25, I believe. So, yeah. Uh, 24, sorry. He doesn't turn 25 until for another month. And Gary Harris's uh, career progression is a better line than what I think Rodney Hood's has right. been. Uh, Gary Harris was not great when he came into the NBA, when a lot of people thought he would be coming out of Michigan State, and has cons- gotten consistently better throughout his career, uh, including the last two seasons where he's been quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rodney Hood spiked really quickly his sophomore season, and then last year was a question mark, and there's there's serious injury questions as well. Yeah. Uh, so people are talking about him. He's obviously still up for uh, is up for an extension just like Rodney. Gary Harris might make an extension around $20 million a year. It just doesn't make sense for the Jazz to sign Roddy Hood to an extension for $20 million a year. How much did uh, paying Joe Ingles as much as they did affect that? If they had gotten Joe Ingles for $8 million a year, would they be more willing to overpay a couple million for for Rodney Hood? Sure, maybe. But the biggest deal is that if you don't sign him to an extension now, you get the free agent salary cap space this offseason. So, like, if you can sign a max free agent if you want to, and if you give him the extension, then you can't unless you do some really serious dumping of salaries. Uh, And so... You know, I, I don't think that that played a major role. Some, sure. But sure. Because it's all money you have to account for when you're talking about giving someone else more money. Right. But it's still, you know, the Jazz can afford it either way. It's just even even if you pay Joe Ingles $8 million a year with a Rodney Hood extension, you still can't afford a max guy next summer. Uh, does that change your mind on what the Jazz? If the Jazz don't feel like they can get something done with Rodney Hood, will they go the extra mile to get something done with Dante Exum? No, or is that just no. totally a wait and see? That's totally a wait and see. You know, Dante quite frankly, isn't happy with the Jazz for the opportunity that he's been, gotten, been sure. given so far. Sure. So he's kind of in the, the Ennis Cantor mindset of, look, you, dra- you guys drafted me pretty high, and I haven't seen the playing time that really would have supported that. Um, that's not to say, like, Dante Exum is causing problems in the locker room by any means, no. but if you're his agency, you want to get him in a better situation than what you've seen so far in Dante and in, in in Utah, where guys like Shelvin Mack and Howell Neto are playing over him at times, well, and three right? years ago, you know, Dante Exum, when he's getting drafted number five overall, is looking at this date saying, I'm signing a four-year, $100 million deal. Like, yeah. that's that was the career path. That right. was the thought. And I know you're 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 probably swimming so much at 18 years old when you're getting drafted in the NBA, but that is the thought. Like, right. this is good money, this nice first contract, especially when you're a top-five pick. You're getting, what is he getting, $7 million a yeah. year this year? So he's getting pretty good money. But you're thinking, okay, that's nice. I've made... 14 for my career, 15 for my career, but wait until I'm making 20 million a year, 25 million a year. That's the money. That's what I'm excited mm-hmm. for. And he's nowhere close to that conversation. No. And so I think his agency just, you know, doesn't want to give the Jazz four more years. Right. Uh, and the Jazz are like, look, we need you to be a contributor. You know, we yeah. need you to be a guy be who's something. better than Shelvin Mack. Right. right. And clearly so. So anyway, uh, Obviously, this is a put up and shut or shut up year for yep. Dante Exum in a lot of ways, but the extension just isn't getting done. They're miles and miles and miles apart. This is Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. You mentioned Ennis Cantor, and it's a good segue into <laughs> yeah. where Ennis Cantor plays now, which is for the New York Knicks, which is the most dysfunctional, one of the most dysfunctional professional sports teams, and certainly the most dysfunctional NBA team right now. One piece of evidence is that they traded for Ennis Cantor. They traded for Ennis Cantor. <laughs> and Doug McDermott. Uh, right. Two guys who are NBA players, but not sure. guys who make you better, and you traded a valuable piece in Carmelo Anthony. Now, I don't know what the market was like for Carmelo. Clearly, Houston wasn't willing to give up 
real pieces and didn't have the numbers to make it work and nobody was either, that it had to get to a point where Melo said, okay, I'm going to open up my trades to Cleveland, Houston, Portland was the rumor, Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. the Lakers, I'm sure he would have gone there if they would have wanted to move him there, but or the Clippers. Uh, but but he opened up all those teams saying he'd waive his no-trade clause for those teams. And within 24 hours, he was traded. Now, they wanted to get rid of him before media day. They didn't want that hanging over the team. I get that with New York, but they got nothing back for Carmelo Anthony. Right. I, it's not, I, I don't think that they're nothing. I mean, clearly, those guys are two talented offensive players. Right. Doug McDermott had the worst real plus minus of any defensive real plus minus of any player in the league last year. Sure. He was horrendous. And we know Ennis Cantor's not a great defensive and, player. <laughs> Ennis Cantor is... Uh, yeah, right. He's he may be the worst center in the league, and may as a result be you know and as, he's at the bottom. As good as Chris Stapps is around the rim, where his numbers really are elite. I mean, he th- people talk about him with Rudy. He's like not a great pick and roll defender. He's actually not this no, type of player no. who who goes out and th- the despite the fact that he's so good offensively on the perimeter, he's not a def- he's not Andre Karolinko defensively. You can't no, put him right. out there and expect him to shut somebody down. He's not that guy right now. And, and which is which is. You know, maybe not fair to expect from him. Right, but he's a center or a power forward. To put him yeah. next to Ennis doesn't make any sense. I mean, right. I, I think, I don't know if I would have rather done nothing rather than this deal, but there had to be, you know, Houston, for example, had to be willing to give up one of their late firsts. Sure. Right, for Mello? Right. It's, no, if you're trading Carmelo Anthony, you need to get a first-round draft pick back. Right. And they didn't. They got a second-round draft pick, right? <laughs> uh, did they? I think they got a second-round draft pick, and they got— I believe you. Ennis Cantor and Doug McDermott. Okay, that's why they're the Knicks. I love what I love but what Oklahoma City has done. Here's the my thing is we thought that the Knicksness was maybe done after they fired Phil Jackson. It's not. No, it's ownership. But you end up with Phil Jackson because you have bad ownership, right. and then you can't fire him quickly enough because you have bad ownership. But then you should. I mean, ideally, then you have someone who can do something better than this. Right, and they still can't. But that's the Knicks. They're, they're terrible. It's a terrible organization, and they're going to continue to be terrible. And it's unfortunate Jeff Hornacek's there because I think he's a better coach uh, than we're seeing. Yeah. I know he, he had a really good first year in Phoenix, bad second year, lost his job. They didn't hire, hire a better replacement. No offense to Earl Watson, but they, you know, they haven't probably gotten, worse. Right. They didn't go out and upgrade and make this obvious great choice of saying, hey, that's the next guy you got to hire. you got to give him that opportunity. Phoenix is bad, too. Uh, but, but looking at, at, at Oklahoma City now. I love what they've done just from a cultural standpoint. I just love yeah. that they've shifted this idea that Oklahoma City is a destination city when everybody who's ever been to Oklahoma City tells you it's one of the worst stops on the NBA tour. Yeah. It's horrible. It's boring. There's nothing there. There's no nightlife there. If nightlife is your thing, probably more than Salt Lake. But it's Oklahoma no, City. It's, it's the middle of the world. Okay. It's and less than Salt Lake. They have like I mean, two buildings. Everyone who's, uh, you know, uh, we've had a bunch of different people on and uh, I asked them off the record, you know, is, is Salt Lake really that bad? And from an NBA stop perspective, it's, it's great because... A, the airport's close, which right. means you waste less time. But B, Main Street is kind of a thing now. Right. And Oklahoma City is apparently just the worst. I've never been there. but So when, when you're looking at that, and it's a football town because of the Oklahoma Sooners. Anyways, uh, you, you've got this, this culture now that feels like a destination for people. Now, that's the advantage of having Russell Westbrook. I was going to say, do you think that lasts in 2018 when Russ hasn't signed an extension, right. Paul George is a free agent? Right. And Carmelo Anthony, he still has time on his deal, but again, are players itching to play with Melo right now? Maybe not. Uh, and, though I don't think Carmelo does unliked. he ask for a trade uh, without Carm- Paul George and Russell Westbrook on his team? Certainly could. Uh, and, and plus Oklahoma City, if they lose those two guys, you don't want you Melo can't. on your team anyways. Yes, you want to get rid of Carmelo as it is, and you want to get whatever value you can, because you can probably, I bet you if they trade him, they get a first-round draft pick for him. Yeah, In probably. fact, they probably get more than what the Knicks got for him. That's the thing, is like, if this... If this team is bad, if this Thunder team is bad, they can trade their guys right. for much better value than what they traded 
what they gave up. gave up in in free agency in Oladipo and uh, Sabonis. Oladipo, Sabonis, and his Cantor, McDermott, yeah, and his Cantor, and you got two superstars out of it. At least yeah. one guy's a former superstar, and one guy's an active superstar. But I like the idea now that let's say Russell Westbrook does end up signing this this extension, even though if he hasn't yet, what's the what's the wait? Right. If he hasn't signed it yet, and he's got one of these James Harden four hundred million dollar contracts waiting for him, or whatever two hundred million dollars, yeah. that's sitting there waiting for him, and he hasn't signed it. Uh, John Wall just signed one as well in Washington. Uh, the fact that he hasn't signed it, everyone says, everyone thinks that means he's going to go to LA or wherever his next destination. He's an LA guy. So that's always been the assumption that he leaves after next season, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine. But if he does for some reason sign that, well, you've got guys who are willing to, to go and play with him and want to go play with him. So even if Carmelo leaves, there might be the next guy who says, Hey, Carmelo wouldn't played there and didn't ruin his career, didn't ruin his image. It wasn't bad for him. Sure. That, that's why I've liked this Joe Johnson signing so much for the Jazz. I, I think it's important to set up these cultural roles for guys. You can say, look, I can go, I can be a former all-star. I can be a former superstar. And the Jazz, yeah, they're going to pay me a little bit more, which is nice. I'm going to get this two-year, $20 million deal that nobody else was offering. And I, I don't look like a goofball for going there. Because Joe Johnson, I, I'm not paving a new road by going and playing for the Jazz at the end of my career. And I think there's an opportunity to do that. And I, I like teams that, that, that put yourself in that spot where you can go in and bring in guys and they say, hey, that's replicable for me later in my career. The other thing is, you know, I, I don't think they had a better option, right? Because your, your other option is going out there again with Oladipo and Dennis Cantor and, you know, being right. a 45-win team. Right. And it's, this, is, this is clearly the more variant role. You know, this is, this is you going for it in some sense. Absolutely. And go for it. You yeah. should go for it. You've got Russell Westbrook and you're going to lose him. So right. go for it. Try and win a championship. And have something go terribly wrong. Have Draymond Green and Kevin Durant go knee to knee in a game and lose both of them, <laughs> and you're the best team in the West. And I actually Do you think they're better than Houston. Yeah, Houston. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually, I predict Houston's better than OKC this year. Uh, I, I just don't believe in D'Antoni as a playoff coach. I just still don't. I, I just don't. I, I don't believe, and I don't believe in Chris Paul as a playoff player. Okay. I know he was so I mean, good I, against I'm, the Jazz. I just, I really don't believe in what they do working in the playoffs, and it's why he's never been past the. Second, I mean, I know he did one year with the with the Suns. They got to the Western Conference Finals. Maybe they didn't even then. But uh, it, it was the year that Amari ran onto the floor yeah, and got that, suspended. That was Western Conference Finals. So but. even then, I no, I don't believe in what D'Antoni does. Even though it's more what the NBA looks like now, it more fits his system. No, I still don't think that's going to work in the playoffs. Hmm. Uh, first of all, I was thinking more regular season anyway, just in terms of ranking. You're, you're, right, right, but. I I think it's I think it's close. I you know I I think a. I mean, you're right. I guess that Chris Paul and James Harden haven't exactly had a ton of playoff success either. I, right. I, I mean, I well, and then it's just hard let, for me to just, argue with you based on the evidence, right? And, and Harden's great. Harden was the second best player in the NBA last year, probably. Yeah. Uh, and he's certainly top three. I mean, he's just I, I love Harden. People hate Harden. I, I love James Harden. I could watch him play. I don't care that he flops. I don't care that he draws fouls. I love watching him play. I could watch him play every night. I don't love watching him play, but I think he's a basketball genius. Oh, he's phenomenal. I mean, he, yeah, he's inarguably a top five player in the NBA right now. What, whatever your thoughts are, if you like watching him play or not, I do. You don't. Who cares? Slash those guys at the top players. You know, Russell Westbrook's incredible as well. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Chris Paul. Well, Chris Paul and Paul George, I mean, those those are two great basketball players. Chris Paul's probably better than Paul George still. Mm-hmm. But Paul George is really good. And then you're getting down to these third players. And Carmelo Anthony, if he's the third best player on your team, and actually has a reason to believe he's the third best player on your team, which he's never had to before, he's never had to believe he was the third best player. Yeah. Chris Stapps never did that. Nobody he played with in Phoenix. Even with Amari, he, no one ever thought Amari was better than Carmelo Anthony. In Denver, he was always the better player. Mm-hmm. If he now buys into the idea that I'm the third best player, that I'm Kevin Love or whoever, I like that role for Carmelo Anthony. I do too. I don't think he's going to buy in immediately. Based on how he... Uh, media Day says a lot for those kind of guys. Sure. Right? 
he you know laughed at the idea of kind of becoming a, a role player. He sure. laughed at the idea of becoming a not a bench player, but look, you may have to play more with bench guys. Right. He laughed at that kind of idea. You know, I, sure. I think clearly he hasn't. He's not there in his mindset yet. Let's see how and it plays it'll be interesting to see what Billy Donovan does with that, right? Because I don't know if he's going to be able to. This is the first time he's handled NBA egos to this extent. Sure. Now he had Durant and, and Westbrook, and that was a nightmare. Right, the last season of those guys, and they apparently hated each other, and it broke yeah. up. I mean, they split up. So maybe he's maybe he's bad at it, or maybe he finds a way to get and, better. And at even, it. I mean, and Durant's a different thing than Carmelo. We've right? also never seen Carmelo. I mean, been on a really competitive team. I think they won fifty games one year in New York, uh, and they won a couple of games. They they won fifty, and I think made it to the second round one year yeah. with Denver. If they're on a pace where they're winning. 70% of their games, 60% of their games through the first 25, does Carmelo change his tune and say, hey, I like this? They made it to a Western Conference Finals against the Lakers that one year. What was That's it? Right. 2008. But, That's right. Uh, anyway. I, I wonder we, if he will buy in, no doubt, buy in now, though, as the third guy on a team that's winning at a 65, 70% win percentage. We mentioned Kevin Durant's name, and we haven't talked about that he has multiple Twitter accounts. Yeah, we, we got to talk about that. Tra- okay, we, we have also to have to break. talk about another great media day event of someone laughing at somebody, or at least kind of having that opinion, which is what Kyrie Irving thinks Gordon Hayward is there to do oh, for the Boston yes, Celtics. Please. Jazz fans, if you haven't heard this, you're going to love this. I mean, this makes your day. You, the the whole Gordon Hayward Fourth of July thing. Love it. You love what is happening. So we're going to talk about that coming up next. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. <laughs> The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. You can tweet at Andy, at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet at me, at Ben Hoops. All right, well, let's talk about this. Something we were talking about in the office. Howard is a dumb person? Uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of well known that he's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to be mean about. It. There's a lot no. of there's a lot of dumb guys a- everywhere in the world. There's just yep. dumb people. Um, <laughs> this is a good question. I've talked to Kyle Gunther about this a lot because he was a football player and he's in locker rooms and he said there's not a lot of smart guys in, in locker rooms in football because it's not a sport you want to have a lot of smart people in uh, because you're just destroying your body, you're destroying your brain, and it's yeah, well known smart now. Smart people don't do it. So the idea that you have these like these people with perspective and understand what I'm saying, smart people. I'm not trying to sound pretentious or elitist here. Just if you have general perspective on life, you're going to be a bad football player. Yeah. That's not everybody. Steve Young's brilliant, great football player. Has all these concussions now, though. You know, I'm, I'm right. sure he thinks about it at night and it's like, well, that was really crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a better correlation between smart basketball players and being a really great basketball player than there is smart football player players needing to be really great football players. I agree. I do think that there is a too smart for basketball level. Okay. Level. I do think that, like, at some point you become really self-aware and you become paralyzed by that. You know, like, there's this crippling fear of you not – you're overanalyzing every aspect of it. Okay. Um, kind of, you know, Paralysis people say this analysis. about Rondo, for example. Okay. That he's too smart for his own good. And, and while that makes him a good basketball player, it also means that he knows that it's better in some ways for him to chase assists rather than interesting help his team you know and 
he doesn't necessarily prioritize his you know he prioritizes his engagements with his teammates and his and his coaches and things like that in a way that's best for the amount of money he will sign for in his next contract. Oh, interesting. Uh, and that's not good for the floor, but and it's good for his numbers, which right. is good for his bank account. Uh, and, and here's how we got started on this. Sorry, yeah. We got started on this because in the off uh, during the break we were talking about Kyrie Irving and whether or not we think he's a smart person. Yeah. And I want smart people at point guard. Ricky yeah. Rubio is a really smart person. You get you get the sense mm-hmm. talking to him. I watched the videos of practice that, that you were at today. I talked to him at media day. I, I get the impression he's a smart guy. I get the impression Joe Ingles is a smart guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, I, I think they're. I think Rudy Gobert is a really smart guy. I think there are really smart people who, and they end up having success on the floor. I think Tim Duncan's probably one of the smarter people who's been in the NBA in the last yeah. little while and is brilliant. Greg Popovich, really smart. Also a brilliant coach. David Robinson. David Robinson. While we're going sure. to the Spurs centers, you know, right? Uh, like, but regardless. But but you can be really smart and it can really translate your career and make you, like Kobe's really smart. Made him a much better basketball player. Uh, Andre Kirilenko was a smart guy. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it really helped his career. But I'd, maybe that, okay, so Andre Kirilenko goes to my, maybe sometimes the smartest hurts you point. Right, in that, for sure. Like, clearly... I, I don't think a, a a dumb person reacts in the way that Andre right. did to you know the 2007 playoffs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he got emotional about it. Right. He had perspective on the world, exactly. <laughs> and he let yeah, that creep yeah. in, and that's a bad thing. And uh, that self awareness. So Kyrie, this is why we talked about it. Kyrie said this about Gordon Hayward at media day. Gordon Hayward is going to run the floor, be aggressive, play defense, offensive rebound, attack the defensive glass, and do everything. Okay. Minus the do everything, which is just all encompassing. He can do all those things. He can run the floor, though he didn't last year with the Jazz. Nope. He can offensive rebound because he's an all around player, but he's, he's not that good at it. Yeah, he can he's, defensive he's a rebound. Average rebounding small forward. Uh, he brought up his rebounding numbers uh, over the last couple of years, but is not a great defensive rebounder by any stretch. Yeah, he's not a guy who's going to go out and give you eight rebounds that are going to correlate to him getting these opportunities down the floor in transition. Yeah, I mean, he averaged. Okay, 5.4 5. 5. rebounds again. Yeah, he's a good rebounder. That's an okay he's rebound. And, and he was below average when he started his career and yeah. got better. Yep. Uh, but he's not, you know, you, you, you talk about some of these wings that are good defensive, that are good rebounders. Or you talk about guards that are good rebounders. Rajon Rondo's a good example. These guys who get out and rebound and it makes you better at your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not what Hayward's known for. No. Attacking the defensive glass, getting offensive rebounds, running the floor. None of those things are how I would. Those are what the eighth, ninth, and tenth things you would describe in Gordon Hayward, if even that high. I mean, okay, so with the rebounding thing, Gordon Hayward had zero point seven offensive rebounds per game last year, right? Which right? is just like, not you, you luck into that, right? That's probably lower. That's a lower than average offensive rebounding percentage of just the fact that he's on the floor, and right, and some of that is you know Quinn told him to get back every single possession, right. right? That's probably the right thing to do. That's how the Celtics play too, right? The Celtics are the worst rebounding team in the league. So Gordon Hayward's not going to do any of those things that Kyrie said, which makes me think that he's never seen Gordon Hayward play basketball, other than when he's played against him and casually watched the NBA. But maybe he's not an NBA fan. Maybe he doesn't watch the league. It's not like he's matched up against Gordon. Right. And he sees him twice a year in his career. He's never seen him more than that. Now, apparently Gordon almost joined him before when when, uh, Charlotte offered him that contract, when Gordon signed that in the Jazz match. He had apparently talked to, and then LeBron came in and ruined it when LeBron was coming back. But either way, who cares? But if, if he stands with Cleveland, then he still gets matched with the Jazz. Kyrie has no idea what Gordon Hayward does. I want my point guard to know exactly what every player does on the floor and what makes them so good. Yeah, Kyrie's saying here, I'm the scorer here. Right, I'm going to do all the fun stuff, and Gordon Hayward's going to do all the dirty work. Yeah. If you ask Gordon to do that, he's not going to be happy. No. I mean, Gordon. Gordon's going to be fine. He's not going to cause a stink or whatever, but like... I it's think not, Gordon has it's not the best allocation of resources. Let's put it that way. Kyrie's not a good enough scorer. Kyrie's a good scorer. Kyrie's not 
James Harden. Well, here's the problem. Brad Stevens didn't tell Kyrie that this is what Gordon Hayward's going to do. No. No, this is Kyrie already well, going rogue. I mean, this is already Kyrie's thought of, hey, this is my team and I'm going to do all this stuff. I mean, th- th- that's the problem with Kyrie Irving. That's why he took more shots than LeBron James last year, who's the best basketball player arguably we've ever seen. Right. If you ask Kyrie about LeBron James, he probably says the same thing. Right. <laughs> right? Right. He's going to do all these James great things to help run the floor, me. be aggressive. I'm going to pass him the ball and right. on, alley, on alley-oops. It's and a, other, you know, like... I really, that's a big red flag for me if I'm a Celtics fan. And and if a guy's going to have that much control over my franchise because he's the point guard and he's the guy who has the ball at the end of the game and he's insanely skilled. Mm-hmm. We, we saw him win a championship because he's so good offensively. Uh, that worries me if he's the guy and not playing next to LeBron. I mean, we've we've talked a, le- a lot about red flags about Kyrie Irving this summer because he opted out of playing next to LeBron James right. for a championship next year. Right. right. He really did. This is another one. This is another red flag in a series of red flags that makes me wonder, what does Kyrie want? Yeah. Kyrie wants to be the man. He just wants to be Kyrie. Yeah, he wants it to be the Kyrie show. What does that get you? No, it doesn't, it's not going to win them anything. And in fact, what's funny is the point guard who was best at running the point guard show last year was Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. He was the absolute best. This is going to be about me. And he actually backed it up because he was the best fourth quarter player in the NBA last right. year. He was incredible. I mean, he he was a he should have been a top four or five MVP candidate, and he may have been. I mean, he was that good last year. He was the reason why the Celtics were as good as they were last year as a point guard. Right. He was better than Kyrie Irving was last year. Yeah, and still at least on offense, right? Yeah, they're both bad. They're both bad defensive players, and still that only got Boston's what one win in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and now he's well, trying to. Well, now Isaiah Thomas that. wasn't healthy. Right, and he wasn't even healthy. He had the bad hit by then. But 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 you're right. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. You're talking about uh, a player in Isaiah Thomas who was doing what I think Kyrie hopes to be doing. And it was still, you, you saw the limitations of what that basketball team could do. And now he's yeah. going to go, he's going to run into a juggernaut again in Cleveland, and they're going to get swept. Maybe. You think, I mean, swept? I, th- I still think the Cavs sweep Boston this year, especially with LeBron being motivated against Kyrie. No, I think Boston gets one or two games. Huh. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. And we'll see who's healthy by that point. Uh, at the same I, time, uh, uh, go ahead. No, I'll say, so, you know, Jonas Drebko, former Boston Celtic, yeah. uh, talked about this a little bit at practice yesterday. Uh, and kind of we asked him to compare, you know, the offensive systems in Boston and Utah. And he said, there's so much more ball movement here in Utah than there was in Boston. Right. We had more better individual players clearly referencing Isaiah Thomas uh, in Boston than we did here. And, and in Utah, it's all about sharing the ball. Uh, no matter who has it. And some of that, again, is having a superstar versus not having a superstar. Right. But clearly some of that is based on offensive system too. So I guess Kyrie's a fit there. But again, if you're Gordon Hayward, that's not beneficial for you. I'm really interested in this Boston team. They're one of the best stories this year. There are so many interesting teams this year. Yeah, the NBA is great. This is a great NBA product. The I saw a stat with 66 all-star appearances have changed teams this oh. offseason, I think. Uh, which, which you know, you look back at Carmelo, you look at Dwayne Wade, uh, who now joins the Cleveland Cavaliers, Paul George, Gordon Hayward even has an all-star under his belt. Like, there's a lot of great movement on teams this year that's going to be exciting to watch. Boston is just fascinating because, you know, you're trading Isaiah Thomas essentially for Kyrie Irving. Yep. What does that do? You traded Gordon Hayward for Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. Mm-hmm. What does that do? What, 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 how does that affect Boston? Because Gordon Hayward individually is better than both of those players. No yeah. question. Not even close. And in fact, you know, I, you, you take that all-star over the two role players all the time. But right. those are also top, top-tier top upper echelon role players. Those right. are championship-level role players. If we've learned anything about basketball over the last 10 years, you know, 
the statistical revolution and whatever else. Sure. And honestly, just how it's played out in terms of what teams have been successful. We've learned that role players are more important than we realize. Right. And having great role players is is huge. Guys like Avery Bradley, guys like Jay Crowder, guys like Joe Shane Mays, Battier. You know, yeah. Shane Battier, exactly. Yeah. You go down the list of, of the really difference-maker role players and the surprisingly large role that they play in their team's success. It's not about who has the most stars. And, and you know, sure, we've seen the team with the most stars win the championship. We've right. seen Miami, and we've seen the Warriors fine. Um, but now they've traded really two of the you know ten best role players in the league. I don't think that's crazy to say about no. Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. Not at all. Uh, maybe two of the best five role players in the league. Right. For Gordon Hayward, who's a very, very good, is an all-star caliber player. Right. But maybe that's not enough. It's going to be really interesting to see. Which super team implodes? Because it happens. Uh, sometimes these teams really work out. Look at Golden State. That was great. Look at... Uh, yeah, one of the f- five teams isn't going to work, right? Who are your five? Golden your State. Five are Golden State. They're going to work. Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland's going to work. Houston. Houston. OKC. I, Houston, it's, it's so hard for me to see Houston falling off. You know, because they've got James Harden, who matches so well what Mike D'Antoni's going to do. Yeah. They're just going to be good. The question is, who has the ball between Chris Paul and James Harden? Well, and maybe they don't get better. That's They, yeah, they may not get worse. They just might point. not get better by adding Chris Paul. That's kind of my And that okay. kind of is my opinion on what this team's going to look like. They're still very good. They're going to win 60 games. Yeah. Uh, they. I, I don't know how much better they got. I don't think New Orleans is going to work, because I don't think Boogie no. works. Uh, even though that team is trying to be a super team, because they've got two... Viewed superstars. They've got yeah. one real superstar in Boogie Cousins, uh, but that's. I don't think that's going to work. Oklahoma City certainly has a combustible factor. They could yeah. break down and not work because they have three isolation players, right? Uh, or it could really work. Or it could really be a, a team that that's impossible to defend. Yeah, uh, I, I you know I think bust potential is highest with Oklahoma City. No question, and that they have the least experience together of any right. of these teams, right. uh, as far as coaching experience, and then these guys playing together, shifting from the East Coast to the West Coast. I mean, Cleveland into... honestly should be fine unless like Derrick Rose is a huge cancer. You know what I mean? Right, and I can't imagine this could be the case. And I think Dwayne Wade coming in is going to help them. It makes right. them a better team. Clearly, they have good chemistry with you know Dwayne has a good chemistry with LeBron, and right. uh, Kevin Love isn't a locker room problem, and Isaiah Thomas is just motivated as all get out to do whatever he can. Right. You know, I think Cleveland's probably going to be fine. And it could be one of those situations with Isaiah Thomas where if you give him five months to rest, four months to rest, and he doesn't have to come back until January. Yeah. And starts playing then. I know he's a rehab assignment, but if he can get right in time for the playoffs and be close to 100% when everyone else has been playing a whole season, yeah, that can help. I mean, that, that, that can that be a, help that can real, uh, be a real bonus to a team that's going to need just an uh, an offensive juggernaut in the playoffs. Then the question is, does like someone like like I say, Derrick Rose kill you by Derrick Rose plays the first three months of the season and is your starter, and then Isaiah Thomas comes back, or let's say it's four or five months and it's right before the playoffs. And then Isaiah Thomas comes back and Derrick Rose loses it. I can't imagine that would be the case. And I don't think you even start Derrick Rose. I think you yeah. probably start Dwayne Wade. Uh, at point guard. Okay. At point guard. Just let him play point guard because he's done that before. I mean, sure. he was okay, first year then, in Miami. And then you start J.R. Smith at two. Shooting guard. Yeah. Okay. Right. And you get That's by fine. on that because LeBron plays point guard too. You've got, I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, question yeah, of fine. ball handlers and playmakers is not in question there. And the less you have Derrick Rose on the floor, the better you're going to be. That's a good point. Uh, all right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, one last segment. We're going to talk more about the Utah Jazz uh, and some of the things, guys, we haven't talked about. Jonas Drebko uh, that we met at Media Day as well. It's coming up next on the Salt City Hoops Show. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700.
Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, 851. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Tweet at Andy, at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet at me, at Ben Ben's Hoops. Shout out our uh, producer, J.P. Chunga, by the way. J.P.'s the best. Also, went to a Miley Cyrus concert today. Mm-hmm. And, or this uh, over weekend, the weekend, I should say. And Lord. And uh, hence our Chance intro music this segment. He's feeling re-energized. I can see it in his face. He's got a little sun. He Feels looks good. He's glowing. Uh, other guys that I thought were glowing at Utah Jazz Media Day. Yeah, I thought nice Jonas Jarebko was happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah, he's... I, I Again, so... Uh, stupid backstory no one cares about. My uh, grandparents are Swedish. So, like, okay. I've always kind of followed the Swedes that come in and play in the NBA. And it's just Jonas Jarebko. That's the only one right now in the NBA. <laughs> I've always followed them. I've always followed only him. Jonas. Uh, coming in and, and, and now him, him playing in Utah. And you, I expect him to have the same accent that my grandmother has, even though she's lived here for 60 years, has just never dropped that accent. Mm-hmm. And Jonas Drebko sounds like he's from Jersey. He has the same accent as Mike Pecky. Yeah, uh, exactly. Kirk Crowthorpe pointed out. Right. And like it's it's definitely true. Right. And he, I don't know he comes from the that. Brooklyn part yeah. of Sweden, apparently, because <laughs> he's <laughs> right. got this very uh, kind of rough American I, accent. I'm also disappointed on your behalf now, now that I know you're you're a Swede, uh, he doesn't like being called the Swedish Swish. It's not his favorite nickname. Oh, really? So, what, what does he like? Does he like anything he about he his? He, I asked him what his favorite nickname is, and he said he doesn't have one. His gamer JJ. tag is just Drebko. That's a good name. It's, I mean, for it's Jonas, a, it's a good last name. Uh, okay, uh, I, I Jonas Drebko might be able to play on this team, or he might never get on. I mean, I felt this way about not to make comparisons to tall white guys that shoot the basketball, but I thought Novak might come in and be able to play for the mm. Jazz. Steve Novak came in, had a skill set. In the NBA, which is you can shoot the ball, you generally seem you can find the floor. Sometimes those guys can't at all. I will say this, Jonas Drebko is a way better basketball player than Steve yes. Novak was. His problem with finding minutes is going to be that he's a middle option between Joe Johnson and Derek Favors at the four, right? Joe Johnson, Quinn says he's wants to play basically all of Joe Johnson's minutes at, at the four this year. You also have Derek Favors, previous near all-star player at, at the power forward. And so like, if you want a good shooter of the ball uh, and you want the offense and all that, you're going to play Joe Johnson. He's just much, much better at it. If you want a better defender and you want a better screener and a better rebounder, you're going to play Derek Favors. And Jonas Drebko is the kind of guy who's kind of middling at everything, right? You know, right. He's, a, he's a better rebounder, certainly, than Joe Johnson. Better screener, certainly, than Joe Johnson, but clearly a worse shooter. Definitely better at those things than, than Derek Favors is. D- Derek Favors is in, in terms of the shooting and passing and those sorts of elements. So I, I don't know. You know, It's kind of like, do you want one or the other you can. You've got better players on both ends, right? We have a question, by the way, uh, from Casey Greer asking, "Hey, a question regarding the Jazz's aggressive defense. I mentioned earlier on in the show that the yeah. Jazz have kind of been playing more aggressive defense. Uh, do you think the pick and roll defense will be more aggressive, and we'll see the Jazz trap more? I don't think so, because okay. Rudy Gobert exists, and you don't want him to trap. I mean, right. He's fine trapping, but well, there's you just no want reason to ever get him away from the rim, right? Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, I guess his question continues with the next tweet. Or will they be aggressive in other ways? Ball denial, taking more risks to deflect passes, etc. That's the answer. Yeah. That, the answer is playing uber aggressive on the perimeter. You don't care if someone gets past you because you have Rudy Gobert at the rim. Right. And you try to get steals and, and kind of generate some offense, honestly. And then again, okay. when you've got uh, Ricky Rubio, who's a great steals guy. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, who's great steals guy, great length. Tabo Cephalosha. Insanely disruptive length with Donovan Mitchell. Tabo Cephalosha, Joe Ingles. Yeah, Yeah, you should. And then you've got baskets going the other way. And the Jazz are going to have to manufacture baskets. Yeah. And you get that defensively. You get that by trying to get get steals and trying to get out in transition. Yep. So you'll have to do that. Uh, Did Gordon Hayward prevent the Jazz? Oh, oh, you know what I want to talk about really quick. We've got one minute. Draft lottery. 
Okay. A lot of people hate the no, – we should have talked about this earlier. This is okay. my fault. A lot of people think the draft lottery is bad for the guys. While I agree that it's hard for small market teams to get stars and by going in the lottery and being able to do that it is helpful, the one argument that people were making was that, yeah, that, that's the problem. It's the only way for, for small market teams to get stars. Uh-huh. But the Knicks can also tank and do the same thing. Yeah. That was the and that's more likely, the issue. Who's who's more likely to be one through four worst in the league in the next ten years? The Knicks or the Jazz? Knicks. And that's why the Jazz voted for this change today. Right. right. Was that they felt that they they're not going to be a one through four worst team in the league. Right. It's much more likely that yeah, just by having Quinn Snyder as your coach, honestly, you're probably right. a twenty five win team. Right. I also think the idea for some of these teams now is that. Uh, and if you don't know about it, they just changed the odds of getting the number one pick, the number for pretty much everyone down the board, and, and being able to move up into the top five. Yeah. Uh, and and percentages are actually up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your opportunity to win it, uh, I like that for the Jazz because then now the Jazz don't have to be terrible. The Jazz yeah. don't have to sink to absolutely nothing to try and get that number one pick, and then you can continue to rebuild. Where the Jazz aren't just an inept organization like you're talking about the Knicks that will. Because of how poorly run they are, they will end up as the, as the worst team in the NBA. And it's nearly impossible for them to tank in a Sixers or Nets sort of way. Right. Because they just they just have more talent at literally every position, right? Like, the Jazz's ninth best player is better than Brooklyn's second best player. But I hated the argument. I heard it from a lot of places that this is the only way for the Jazz to get stars. Well, that may be true. It's not like the Jazz have access to this and the Lakers don't. That's why the Lakers have had two number two picks overall in the last three years. Yeah. Because they're good and they, they're a great organization and they just can be bad at basketball. That's the Salt City Hoop Show. A big thanks to our producer, JP. Andy Larson. Find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700.